It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. Fox News Podcasts presents the Brett Bear Podcast with Fox News Chief Political Anchor Brett Bear. Tonight, an exclusive sit down with Ukraine's President Vladimir Zelensky on the front lines for the first time ever, just a mile and a half away from Russian troops. We traveled by overnight train to Kyiv from Poland, then to Kharkiv in armored trucks and on to Kupansk, where artillery rounds could be heard throughout our interview from Russian forces and Ukrainian forces back and forth, just a mile and a half away. Mr. President, thank you for the time. Thank Just you. a few kilometers from the front lines, we've been hearing artillery volleys back and forth all morning. And, you know, we sat here and thought two years, you know, in the first days when Russia invaded, many experts thought Kiev was going to go down in two weeks. Here we are two years sitting right near the front lines. As you make an effort to get support around the world, where do you see this war right now? Thank you so much, Brad. First of all, thank you, your team, that you came here. It's very important for me, like I said before, before we started, that's important for me, the United States, to, to, to see different war in the capital and here, uh, closer to front line. So, first of all, we are here. And it's very important because of the first days when Russia said that they will occupy us, we've been in the capital and their troops and soldiers being around and a lot of our territories houses being occupied now we are here we are fighting two years ago half of those territory we deoccupied it and of course the first of all this re- resilience and strongness of our warriors heroes and our people and of course support big military support political support of our partners, United States and EU partners. Now, I think challenging period, another part, another page of the war. You said you recaptured 55% of the captured territory, but Russia is still controlling 20% on these, these lines here, and it hasn't moved that much in the past year. So is it a stalemate? First of all, it's not a stalemate. Indeed, it's very complicated in the East. There is a lack of certain weapons. They do have air superiority and they have superiority in terms of manpower. This is the fact, truly. And therefore, there is the stagnation on this part of the front line. We understand that we need to deblock the air. We need our partners not to forget that it's not a war that is taking place over one day, but two years. Only the joint efforts would be able to kind of fight back uh, Russians and to have Russians uh, go to concessions. Putin has to understand what we, what all of us, what we have to do to push him. He has to understand that all the world needs peace and all the world will not give him possibility to occupy Ukraine and to destroy totally what he really wanted and still wants. 
Do you know roughly how many Ukrainians have died in the war so far? We know about tens of thousands of people being killed or tens of thousands of children being deported. We know about this. And uh, should we compare the number of soldiers killed? I would say the ratio is one to five. So meaning one soldier killed in action uh, equals to five Russian soldiers killed in action. So that's the approximate statistics. So one to five, one to five. meaning Russians, your defense ministry has it at more than 400,000 Russians. Is that possible? Well, they've lost over 400,000. Roughly. That's, let's just say, 500,000 casualties. For people in the U.S., that's the size of the city of Atlanta, Georgia. It's a lot of people. Well, the only thing that they've succeeded, that's like over a period of nine months, they've managed to take control of the FDFK. And we need to understand the, 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 the understanding of what that means to control. They've destroyed everything. So their strategy is to level everything to the ground and then to uh, move on. Like in Mariupol. Well, nothing was left alive in Mariupol, but in here, everything is leveled to the ground. We've lacked the weapons, we've lacked the shellings for the artillery. You recently replaced your commanding general, General Zhilovsny, with a new commanding general. You also replaced many top commanders. So does, what does that mean? Does it mean you're looking for a shift, a new direction? Well, the sort of reloading, rebooting in the management of uh, the supreme commanders of the armed forces, this was something that we really needed. We're not talking about kind of the rebooting or reloading of the direction of our actions. We're just saying that some of the things were not changing over the recent period of time. We have to be more quick. That means to lose all the bureaucracy what we have. Otherwise, we will not have any chance. To, so, to be smart, technology, more technologically, and of course, quick. Time is money. In our case, it's not money, it's people, people's lives. You gave him uh, the Hero of Ukraine medal. Um, do you think he'll remain a supporter of you and your government? Was there any part of that was a decision about maybe him being in opposition to you? Well, that's his choice. He defended our nation, our country. That's why I uh, presented him with the title of Hero of Ukraine. I'm very grateful to him. You mentioned 2022. You stopped the Russians from advancing. You pushed them back. 2023, you defended successfully against an air campaign, the effort to take out electrical infrastructure. As you mentioned, you kept the grain open in the Black Sea. You went after the Russian Navy. You sunk 12 Russian naval ships, about 20% of their Black Sea fleet. Now, in 2024, though, you have seen kind of a stall on the ground. The, the counteroffensive was not successful. Uh, so as you look at 2024 and those goals, what do you see? You know, one, if you get the funding from the U.S., 
what does it look like? And the other way, if you don't, what does it look like? Sometimes we forget one thing. We are speaking about counteroffensive. Of course, it's very important and it's moving you to peace closer, but to defend Ukraine against such big army like Russia, it's also big task, big challenge. You remember, and you remind today that first days of the war, nobody in the world really believed that we will do it. And today, sometimes we are, we are, and also in Congress, we are speaking, and the, some some guys we have good relations because we met uh, a lot of time. They say, so when when we will finish the war, when we will win, why so slowly, and etc. We we have not not forget people's lives without them. If we want be very quick, but we will lose a lot of people without without very concrete counteroffensive operation with details because these people if, if we will lose these soldiers we will lose everything with any technology we will lose everything and that means that to defend that the task number one then uh, to continue our successful story on the black sea and we will do it i will not now go deeply to details, but they will get some surprises. I mean, Russians. Yeah, that's very important. So South is very important to defend East, where they have more than 200,000 soldiers, also very important to defend. And of course, we will prepare new counteroffensive, new operation. And of course, it's not, I'm, I'm not speaking that we will just stay. Of course, it depends, depends on a lot of things. Ah, yeah, some John shouted that. So, will Ukrainians survive without Congress support? Of course, but not all of us. And if we understand this price, if the world is ready for this, okay, you will see it. But it's tragedy. It will be tragedy for all of us, not only for Ukraine, not only for Ukrainians for all Europe, and you will see that they will go. Putin will never stay, will never stop. He will go through Eastern Europe uh, because he wants it, because this is his goal. I want to talk about Putin in a second. You are receiving sophisticated weapon systems now, the HIMARS. Um, you got it, but you got it late. Patriot missile systems. M1 Abrams tanks, F-16s. There are some on Capitol Hill who are the other way. They believe that the administration was slow walking this or was even reluctant to give this to you in time. I want to ask it this way. Had you gotten that material, those weapon systems earlier, could the counteroffensive have been different? Let's today not speak about the past. Nobody would have known what would happen if we got something more or less. I know what is happening now. And now you're absolutely right. There's two years of this war, there's new page of this war. Oh, everyone understands now what is happening. That additional Patriot systems and millions of people will be returned, uh, will be more protected, additional air defense systems 
will allow us to take down Russian aircrafts. We are demonstrating that on the everyday basis. Our air defense forces are great. They're uh, taking down enemy for, uh, fighters, and it means that no bombardment, no shelling. So air defense, radio electronic warfare systems, this is what helps us. We've started the construction of uh, a large amount of drones, but that's not enough, and the United States can help us a lot. Specifically, we need high-range weapons. We talked about this yesterday with congressmen. I talked about this with President Biden. Everyone understands Atacams for 300 kilometers. That would help us a lot, because it's kind of an unfair war. Our soldiers are standing, and our artillery has a range of around 20 kilometers, because we don't have long-range weapons, and Russians are, have, have their artillery with a range of 40 kilometers. That's not fair. So. We were saying that uh, to, to our partners that we don't have this fairness, but if the partners have those systems, why not be, why not be providing them to Ukraine? And we can hear some of that artillery in the background. Uh, you often have said that Ukrainian forces will never give up. They'll never give up the fight. But could you see a scenario where you allow Russia to maintain the 20%, the current lines where we are right now, but the 80% is a sovereign, secure country that is a member of EU and NATO. Uh, we are ready to give some territories and be in EU and NATO. I'm asking the question. Uh, really? Yeah, yeah, I understood. <laughs> Just to understand your question. First, nobody, never, gave us any such propositions. It's just for you, and I think for audience, it's very important to understand. You never it's, had that opportunity? No, never. Only in media, only some voices, but no any officials' proposition. That is the first. The second point, uh, we know the history of our relations with uh, uh, Russia. You remember that we had frozen conflict when they occupied it from the very beginning, the Crimean part of Donbass. They did it. And we had some document, some document, Minsk agreement, yes, in Normandy format, Germany, France, Russia, Ukraine. So we had this document, it was about exchange and ceasefire, everything what now a lot of countries uh, say that we need it, we need ceasefire, we need to sit and have and have frozen document and war will end. No. The answer is not only about territories, it's about our security. He will never stop. Yes, until he will lose in this war. But he will lose. Not the world. His losing is just to be on his territory. We don't need any piece of his, any meter of the sovereign uh, other country. That means that we don't want, just my signal is don't want to repeat Minsk agreement, but on, on, on another part of our territory. No, any new frozen conflicts. We don't believe in it and I don't trust him. As for the negotiation table, when we've prepared a document on the basis of the peace formula, uh, on the basis of proposals of other countries, so we have this ready-made document 
And then we would be able to search for a diplomatic format how to talk with the representatives of Russia, whatsoever they are. I believe if you don't have any steps coordinated with other partners, then you can't suggest anything to Putin because he will want nothing. In the strong position, we found one very important diplomatic route. Diplomatic route, it's a document. When it will be ready, it doesn't matter where we will stay at those time, at this time. What I wanted to say, it, it doesn't matter if we will be strong in all the cases I said, and if we will have the document with the, with the most big countries, important countries, decision makers in the world on our side, of course, we can find political negotiations. We'll continue right after this. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, stay on top of the latest news and information from Fox News. Listen and download the Fox News Hourly Update on your time. The trending stories you need anytime you want it. Listen and download now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. We continue now with our exclusive coverage and interview with President Zelensky. What do you say to somebody in the U.S. who says, I'm worried about corruption. I don't want to give money to some corruption. Everything is transferred now, so we would anti-corruption reform. The EU gave us seven reforms what we have to do, anti-corruption reforms, otherwise we couldn't get the candidate status. So for today, we finished about one month and a half ago, two months ago, so we finished with all these reforms. Everything is accepted with the people of EU on the level of presidents of Euro Commission and the Euro Parliament, all of them. So that's only just a month ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we finished with all of them. It was very important. The list of difficult anti-corruption reforms, why difficult for us? Because during the war, it's difficult to, to vote everything and provide by government after parliamentarians voting. So for today, everything is finished. Everything is clean. And all of them said that all the leaders of EU, they all say yes. So you're being transparent. Even before all these reforms, a lot of times I said to in the White House and in EU, I always said, we are very open, please. I want to go back to Congress. Uh, you yeah. do have some critics of funding, vocal critics. Uh, here's three senators. We are not, as a Republican Party, behind unlimited, unaccounted for aid to Ukraine without any goals in mind, without any sense of where the money is going. We've got money without end. We've got enough money to pay for bureaucrat salaries. We've got enough money to pay for Ukrainian government officials' pensions. We are paying Ukrainian farmers, and yet we just punted the farm bill for American farmers next year. Can you respond to all that? We are thankful for this support, but mostly it's military one. We spend this money on military, so our pensioners don't need any guns. First, so our soldiers need, and our people, and at least all this is the security of Europe. And uh, so, mostly from this money, maybe somebody from senators, yes, you said somebody, maybe they don't want to hear it, but it's truth, and they can ask your uh, defending industry. There is a study that says that 61% of the U.S. funds have yeah. been used for military operations yeah. in Ukraine, 31% to replenish DOD weapon stockpiles in the U.S. So with that said, if they came up with a plan that scaled back a little bit, but you got money, but maybe you didn't get the 
economic side. Would you push for that? We have some financial support for uh, for supporting infrastructure, for some bridges or for bomb shelters, etc. But at least this is also the same. When soldiers on the front line, just for such senators, just to understand, when soldiers on the front line, the question is money, not. The first question, they are defending and they have to think and focus only on the front line, on the enemy, because they are defending all other civilians. And they can't, they don't have any time to think what's going on with their children. Their children, their wives and their relatives, mothers and fathers, they have to be also in secure zone. Bomb shelters for, and for schools, bomb shelters for hospitals. Is it, what is it? This is for pensioners or for, for whom? That all of us in the front, soldiers in the front line. So all these, all your uh, support, what you give, this financial part that you said, yes, all this, this is the part of defending of Ukraine. President Trump suggested making the money a loan. You said uh, in Munich, you'd like to invite President Trump to the front lines. If Trump, Mr. Trump, if he will come, I, I'm ready even to go with him to the front line. If he was here, like we are, yeah. what would you tell him? But I think his eyes, first of all, his eyes, ears. I can will, hear it. Yes, <laughs> will tell him what's going on. First of all, when, why I said, please come. I'm, I'm, I'm happy to see all the candidates and all the people who are decision makers or can support not to be against, just to understand what the war in Ukraine means. Who opened this war, who began it, and what's going on? What's around? What brilliant Ukraine we had. We have beautiful country, but in the war, it's another picture, another lives. I suggest him just to come. I'm ready to go with him. Maybe he wants alone, without me. It doesn't matter for me. Come, see people. Just to speak them on the Because you don't know how he's going to solve it in 24, 48 hours. I, I can't understand how it can be. He can solve this problem, this tragedy with me. Yes, of course. He, I will explain everything and he will explain what his thoughts. Maybe he, he has some, some ideas. I don't know. But, but he will see what's going on. And after that, I think he will change his mind and will understand that there is no two two sides of this war. There is only one enemy, and this is the position of Putin. A couple more critics that I want you just to address their criticism. Okay. You canceled the presidential election. Cancel. Canceled the election. No, I didn't. For an emergency because of the war. No, no. That's what they say. What, how do you respond? Okay, okay. First of all, uh, nobody canceled any elections. During the war, the law said that you can't provide elections. And that's it. It is the war law. It's not me. It's not my new law. It's the law of Ukraine, which was from the very, very beginning. So nobody canceled it. The critics would say that you, by trying to hold on to power, are not anxious to get to a negotiating table to end the war because you want to keep power. First, well, 
I, I really didn't want to talk about politics because, uh, well, war is much more important than any election, so that's nonsense. Because currently I do have the largest support in Montes society, so if we'll have these elections right now, then people will elect me. So it's not that I'm, you know, trying to stay in power, you know, because I will win the elections if the elections would be held now. So the only way we could have the election now is to change the legislation and to understand that you can be, build the infrastructure for inline boats. Then, third, as for the negotiation table, I don't want to sit at a table with a person who only wishes to block and is a murderer. As you know, uh, one of Vladimir Putin's biggest political opponents, Alexei Navalny, uh, died a few days ago yeah. in a Siberian prison, mysterious circumstances. Yevgeny uh, Prigozhin, who briefly challenged Putin, also died mysteriously. Uh, U.S. intel believes he was likely assassinated on Putin's orders. As we sit here, we hear the artillery. Do your guys tell you how many close calls there have been to take you out? Do you know how many assassination attempts there have been on your life? After fifth, it, it, it was not interesting for me. After the fifth time? <laughs> yeah, really. Yes, we had at the very beginning of uh, innovation, they made some attempts. Attempts, yes, tryings, yes, but. Uh, I, I know a lot what, what, what they do from our intelligence, but really, for me, it's not interesting now. When you think about Putin, you say you want to defeat him militarily. Do you think there's ever any chance of a regime change in Russia based on people there? I think, and it will be so, I think so, that uh, it's not only militarily him. When you push, his positions are weak when you push on the battlefield. It doesn't mean that we have to be occupied by military and all our territory from 1991. It's very difficult. You will lose a lot of people and a lot of time, much time, the long, long war. That's why it's more smart, of course, to decide, to decide this question uh, diplomatically. But as much as you can, you do some parallel routes in it. Putin is uh, afraid only of strong and he is, uh, well, not accepting any weakness. So you have to be strong on a battlefield, prevent them from occupying anything. That's first thing. Second, his positions will be weaker if with more and more casualties. The people in Russia will see those deaths that will be against this war and this wave is something that we need. We need to show informationally what is happening. Do you trust any agreements? Because back in 94, there was an agreement. Ukraine gave thousands of nuclear weapons up after the fall of the Soviet Union in 1991. And in part, that was to get a security agreement with the US, UK and Russia. Russia obviously disregarded it. Um, you gave up the nukes. Could you be sure of any agreement? I believe only in legal agreements, well, significant one, powerful one. I believe that 
for Ukraine being a part of member, uh, being part of NATO is important, important for surviving. If Ukraine will not stand, Putin might go to other NATO countries. I believe in security guarantees on a bilateral level because it involves specific sanctions, weapons, and actions against the aggressor and threat. Frankly speaking, I believe that only the powerful Ukrainian armed forces will be able to protect us in Europe. Next up, President Zelensky addresses comments from Russian President Vladimir Putin directly. Now more from President Vladimir Zelensky. Each time it's very important for soldiers and, and very important for me to also to speak with the people about the war, what they need, and also to support them and to give them medals and orders for them is very important. My former colleague Tucker Carlson recently traveled to Moscow and sat down for an interview with Vladimir Putin. Did you happen to see that or coverage of it? I, I, I heard some messages and in media and also my, my guys who are uh, advisors, they said. So I, I, I don't have to, to I, I don't have time to hear more than two hours of bull about us, about the world, about the United States, about our relations, and this interview with with the killer. So I, I've got some briefly what was what, what there. One of the things he did say is that you signed a decree forbidding any negotiations with Russia and that he said Russia has never refused to negotiate. So it's not negotiations. I mean, negotiations with tanks, with occupation of Ukraine, with destroying our people. It's not about negotiations. That's the first thing. Secondly, everyone knows and everyone will tell you, both Macron and Scholz, they talked to Putin before the occupation. And he told that there would be no occupation, there would be no invasion. And like after that, just half an hour before the invasion, he sent them a note. So he can't be trusted. And whatever he's promising, well, that's nothing. He also said that he has no interest in going into Poland, Latvia, or anywhere else. Do you think that that's part of the bull? that you say look first of all i believe that he's not really an adequate person and uh, he's not really he doesn't really remember what he's saying in different interviews people around him they're saying that he's not willing to stop until they reach their goals but he also calls you a neo-nazi by the way and says you have nazis in your administration I heard about this. Keep searching for them in an administration, but I couldn't find it. But we'll keep we're not working, keep searching. The U.S. is supporting, and we'll see what happens in Congress. But at the same time, the Biden administration is supporting. They're also installing a moratorium on liquid natural gas. In other words, they're saying the stopping of the selling of liquid natural gas, which means that Russia may actually start selling liquid natural gas to Europe again. Um, do you have a problem with that? Let's be frank. The European countries are trading with gas and energy kind of uh, resources with Russia, like gas, oil. This is happening. 
but gradually they are becoming um, independent from the energy standpoint and Germany has already demonstrated this and I believe even though the war you know brings no positive aspects but you know, Europe is becoming more independent Russia is going to get a lot more money based on this you know as they're trying to support you push back on Russia at the same time in essence by a climate change rule they are supporting Russia to get more money our example even during war we didn't get any gas from any countries all gas we use it's Ukrainian this year we use only our gas we don't be depending on Putin's mood ending where we began two years is a long time I know you feel it I've talked to people in your streets who feel it so when does it end the problem I think it's not very fair to ask Ukrainians when the war will finish we are doing everything possible for the war to you know to end as soon as possible when the world will be ready to stop Putin well let's be frank the world is not really ready for Putin to be able to lose his power. The world is afraid of changes in Russian Federation. The United States and the European countries and the global South countries. So when the world will understand exactly that, well, Putin has broken all the red lines, he's an inadequate person, that he's a threat to the whole world, that he will destroy NATO, that's his goal. So when the world will understand that, okay, that's it. So in this moment, the war will end. What is your message to Congress? We are thankful for everything being done by United States, by President and Congress. And my message is, if they want to be very pragmatic, the price we are asking now to support, this price is less than it will be in the future if we'll fallen down and Putin will go to NATO countries. They will pay much more, much more. We just want to live, to survive. We don't have alternative. We just want to survive. I think congressmen just just people with their families, with their children, and I think they understand that we, we are just trying to save our houses with children and just say that if you think that we are fighting for the common values, so let's Let's help us and let's support. Let's be in unity. Mr. President, thank you for the time. Thank you so much, Brett. Thank you. Covering war is a tough thing. Logistically, it's very difficult. We've had scores and scores of staff members, photographers, engineers come through here in Kiev, in Lviv, in Warsaw, covering this over the past two years, and we continue to. I want to take a moment and just Note the correspondents who have covered this war out in the field. Trey Yankst. And you can hear that explosion there. Let's, let's move a little quicker. Lucas Tomlinson. We're up to 30,000 Russian forces are massing. Mike Tobin. These kind of things have been around since World War One. Jeff Paul. What took place here will never go away. Greg Palkov. Another Russian missile attack. Alexis McAdams. With more than 2 million Ukrainian refugees here in Poland. Amy Kellogg. Government officials here are really digging in. Griff Jenkins. The rubble we're standing on 
One's an apartment building. Jonathan Hunt. The usually packed streets quieter by the day. Alex Hogan. These soldiers are part of Ukraine's territorial defense. Aisha Hosny. They have hopes that one day they will return home. Steve Harrigan. Russia is using anti-ship missiles. Jennifer Griffin. It is going to take a long time to rebuild. Nate Foy. You see the effects of the missile strike. Matt Finn. Almost directly at the center of this property is this massive crater. And of course, Benjamin Hall and his crew. You can see the total destruction. The building's here behind me. They were attacked in their car. Benjamin's talked about how he has recovered from the grievous injuries and fought for that recovery. It was like everything I was trying to do was get home, get back to my family. He is now back in the field for us, most recently reporting from Israel. Benjamin Netanyahu said from the very beginning that the very purpose of this war was to defeat Hamas. We did lose two of our colleagues in that attack on that car, Pierre Zakshevsky and Sasha Kushinova. We remember Pierre and Sasha on this two-year anniversary. We mourn their loss, but we also remember their excellence in journalism. For that matter, we also remember our Wall Street Journal colleague, Evan Gerskovich, who's being held by the Russians. And we add our voices to the calls for him to be released. Covering war is tough, but we will continue to. Fair, balanced, and unafraid. Good night from Kyiv. You can hear more of this series at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. Make sure to leave a rating and a review. We want to hear from you. We'll see you next time. Listen ad-free with a Fox News Podcast Plus subscription on Apple Podcasts. And Amazon Prime members can listen to this show ad-free on the Amazon Music app. chair and join me, Rachel Campos Duffy. And me, former U.S. Congressman Sean Duffy, as we share our perspective on the discussions happening at kitchen tables across America. Download from the kitchen table, the Duffy's at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you download podcasts.